You're listening to sermons from Bethany Baptist Church. For more information, visit us at BethanyChicago.org. Uh, Matthew 17, verses 14 to 27. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, Not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Mateo capítulo 17. Cuando llegaron a la multitud, un hombre se acercó a Jesús y se arrodilló delante de él. Señor, ten compasión de mi hijo. Le dan ataques y sufre terriblemente. Muchas veces cae en el fuego o en el agua. Se lo traje a tus discípulos, pero no pudieron sanarlo. Ah, generación incrédula y perversa, respondió Jesús. ¿Hasta cuándo tendré que estar con ustedes? ¿Hasta cuándo tendré que soportarlos? Tráiganme acá al muchacho Jesús reprendió al demonio el cual salió del muchacho y este quedó sano desde aquel momento después los discípulos se acercaron a Jesús y en privado le preguntaron ¿por qué nosotros no pudimos expulsarlo? porque ustedes tienen tan poca fe les respondió Les aseguro que si tienen fe tan pequeña como un grano de mostaza, podrán decirle a esta montaña, trasládate de aquí para allá, y se trasladará. Para ustedes nada será imposible. Estando reunidos en Galilea, Jesús les dijo, el Hijo del Hombre va a ser entregado en manos de los hombres. Lo matarán, pero al tercer día resucitará. Y los discípulos se estremecieron mucho. 
Cuando Jesús y sus discípulos llegaron a Capernaum, los que cobraban el impuesto del templo se acercaron a Pedro y le preguntaron, ¿Su maestro no paga impuestos del templo? Sí, lo paga, respondió Pedro. Al entrar Pedro en la casa, se adelantó Jesús a preguntarle, ¿Tú qué opinas, Simón? Los reyes de la tierra, ¿a quienes cobran tributos e impuestos? ¿A los suyos o a los demás? A los demás, contestó Pedro. Entonces, los suyos están exentos, le dijo Jesús. Pero, para no escandalizar a esta gente, vete al lago y echa el anzuelo, saca el primer pez que pique, ábrele la boca y encontrarás una moneda. Tómala y dásela a ellos por mi impuesto y por el tuyo. La palabra del Señor. Good morning. How are you today? Are you enjoying this weather? Yes? Okay. Okay. I was telling someone the other day that this weather is winter in Texas. And it is the end of the world in Dominican Republic. <laughs> okay. So today we are going to be considering Matthew 17, 14 to 27. So I, I ask you to open your Bibles in that passage. You know, preaching the word is always a difficult task. But, as, but it's even more difficult is the passage you have to preach seems to have no relationship between each other. <laughs> And this is the case, but uh, I hope we are going to see the relationship. The title of this sermon is Advice for the Christian Life. Advice for the Christian Life. But before starting this, pray. Dear God, thank you for this beautiful day and thank you for this beautiful, beautiful opportunity to be gathered in this place and to be able to praise your name, to sing songs to, to your name for your glory, and also to be able to listen to your word preach in this morning. And I ask you to lead us to understand your word and to see what you want to communicate to us in this morning. And, and please talk to our hearts and our minds and help us to see what you want for us uh, with this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the characteristics of us as human beings, especially of the youngest, is to believe that we know everything. We try to solve problems by ourselves even if it is difficult for us to do so. But we don't like to ask for help. We believe that asking for help is a sign of weakness. And we don't like to show an appearance of weakness. An example of this is when we buy a household item that comes in parts and we must assemble. In general, these articles come with a manual that explains step by step what we must do to assemble that product without difficulties. But what do we do? We try to do it by ourselves, without reading the manual, according to our intuition. And when we see that it's too difficult and that we cannot do it, 
Then we sit down and read the manual. Another very common example is that of young people who must take important decisions in their lives, but don't seek the advice of their parents or more mature adults who can guide them to make wise decisions. Many young people believe that they can make good decisions on their own, and this results in bad decisions with terrible consequences. And do you know something? This same thing happens in the Christian life. We can fall into the mistake of thinking that we can live a life pleasing to God in our own, apart from the advice and direction of God's word. The Bible is our manual. It is a rule of faith and conduct. And if we want to know how to live a life pleasing to God, we must follow his commandments and principles. The Bible is full of commandments and principles that we must follow to be able to please God. This time I would like us to consider three principles of Christian life that we find in this passage. First, we must serve Jesus trusting in his power, not in our gifts and our skills. Second, we must follow Jesus at any cost. And third, and last, we must imitate Jesus by not being a stumbling block to others. So let's discuss this in more detail. First place, we must serve Jesus trusting in his power, not in our gifts or abilities. Verses 14 to 20. In the previous passage we look at, at, at last week, Jesus went up a high mountain and was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. Jesus showed to these disciples his glory. He showed for a moment his divine nature, and he was conversing with Moses and Elijah. This was a moment of glory and communion with God. These disciples had undoubtedly been strengthened by seeing this vision of Christ glorified. But coming down the mountain, however, Jesus and these disciples encountered the harsh reality of ministry. Jesus came from the Mount of Transfiguration, where he showed his glory and power, to the valley of tears, pain, sickness, and sin. Upon reaching the crown, the, the crowd, Jesus encountered a chaotic scene. He found a man desperate because of the illness of his son, and his disciples, who although they had tried to heal the boy, had not been able to do so. In the Gospel of Mark, we are informed that there, there were some scribes arguing with the disciples, possibly mocking the fact that the disciples had failed to perform the miracle. This boy suffered from what we know today as epilepsy. And for that reason, he sometimes fell into the fire or into the water with convulsions. The reason for this illness was because this boy was possessed by a demon. This young man had suffered from this disease since childhood, according to Mark 9.21. This father was desperate and had looked to the other nine disciples for help, but he hadn't received what he was looking for. But seeing Jesus, this man showed his faith in him, since he knew that Jesus could do what his disciples 
couldn't do. But the disciples hadn't achieved the healing of his son. When Jesus saw all this situation, he said in verse 17, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Seeing the situation around him, Jesus was filled with sadness and frustration. On the one hand, there were his powerless disciples who had not been able to do anything for this man and this boy. On the other hand, there were the unbelieving scribes who mocked the disciples. And in the same way, there was this man, the father of this boy, desperate due to the tragic situation of his son. That generation was faithless and twisted. Now, the same thing happens today. We live between two realities, between the glory of salvation and fellowship with God and the hope we have as a Christian, and the reality of sin, unbelief, suffering, and death all around us. We continue to live in an unbelieving and wicked generation. I don't know if it has ever happened to you that you have gone to a conference or to a Christian congress or a camp, etc., and feel that you have met God himself. That, you strength, that your strength have been renewed. That you have tasted a little of the glory of God. But when, we, but, but when we return to the reality of our lives and our church, we see that not everything is so pretty. We find ourselves with human pain, with unbelief, with inefficiency of our service to God, with the failure of our ministries, etc. And all these discourages and, fr- and frustrates We can feel the same emotional burden that Jesus felt at this moment. But not everything ends here. Jesus asks for the boy to be brought to him, and Jesus casts out the demon. At that very moment, this boy was cured of his illness. What was was impossible for the disciples was possible for Jesus. Although the disciples were powerless, Jesus was omnipotent. And that same, that same truth is true for us. Although we are powerless as individual or as a church, we have an omnipotent God. What is impossible for us, for God, it is not. This prompted the disciples to ask Jesus, why could we not cast it out? To which Jesus replies in verse 20, Because of your little faith. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell them, because you have no faith, but because of your little faith. The problem of the disciples was not that they had no faith, but but that their faith was little. Now, this question of the disciples was justified. Jesus had given them power to carry out miracles, including healing and casting out demons, as we see in Matthew 10, 8. The problem wasn't that they didn't have the abilities or, or the gifts. They did. The problem with the disciples was that their faith was misplaced. That is why Jesus tells them that if they had faith, like a little mustard seed, which was the smallest seed known at that time, they could move mountains. Obviously, moving mountains was a proverb or a metaphor. 
to refer to achieve something that looks impossible. Which is why Jesus tells them that nothing would be impossible for them if have faith like that. It is not about how much faith we can have, but about, but about where our faith is, the object of our faith. A faith as, as small as a mustard seed placed in God can accomplish great things. Put another way, a small faith in a big God can accomplish the impossible in human eyes. Now, this faith is small, but it doesn't stay small. It grows. Just as the mustard seed grows into a great tree, so does the true faith. Every day we must grow more in our faith in God. The problem with these disciples was that they had put their trust in their gifts and not in the God who gives the gifts. And we can fall into the same error if we are careless of depending on on the gift of God and not on the God of gift. Sometimes we wonder why our ministries do not grow. Why don't we grow as a church despite everything we do? Why do I share the gospel but no one responds, etc., etc.? One possible reason for this is that we may be trusting in our gifts and abilities and not in God. Like these disciples, we can fall into the error of carrying out the ministry in our own strength and abilities and not in dependence on the power of God. Let us remember that for God, nothing is impossible. But for us, there are impossible things. And that is why we must depend on him. We must serve Jesus trusting in his power, not in our gifts and abilities. No matter how talented we are, how many gifts we have, how many ministries we carry out as a church, if we do not trust and depend on the power of God, we will fail. So I mentioned manuscripts and translations of the Bible have yet another verse, verse 21, where Jesus tells them that this class or kind does not come out except with prayer and fasting. Fasting. If you have, for example, the King James Version, in some other versions, they have another verse that we don't have in the ESB Version. Uh, whether, this part is, whether this is part of the original text or not, it is a truth that goes according to the context. If we don't spend time in prayer and performing spiritual disciplines to depend more on God, we won't be able to see the power of God at work. Usually, the great works of God are preceded by much prayer. And this is a truth that we must apply in our service to God and in our ministry as a church. If we want to grow as a church, reach the lost, be effective in our ministries, we must pray a lot. Prayer is one of the signs of a church that trusts and depends on God. We must pray and expect great things from God. Everything we do in our service to God must be trusting in His power and not in our abilities. Let us remember that although we are weak and powerless, God is strong and almighty. There is nothing impossible for Him. In second place, the second principle 
for the Christian life that we find in this passage is that we must follow Jesus at any cost. We must follow Jesus at any cost. Verses 22 and 23. In these verses, Jesus announces for the second time his death and resurrection. The first time Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die was in chapter 16, verse 21. Nevertheless, this time Jesus adds one more detail. And that is that he was going to be delivered, giving the idea that he would be betrayed. Jesus announces to them again that he should be killed, but on the third day he would rise again. But his disciples were very sad because they didn't understand that Jesus had to die. And they didn't understand that he was going to rise again. They were only focusing on the death of Jesus. The disciples knew very well what it meant for his master and Lord to be killed. This meant that they, most likely, were going to face the same thing sooner or later. If Jesus was going to be killed, that meant his disciples were probably going to die for following Jesus. After Jesus first announced to them that he was going to die and rise again in chapter 16, he tells them that if anyone desires to follow him, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. Chapter 16, 21. Taking up the cross for the disciples meant taking the same path of death or to death that Jesus took. The cross was an instrument of death. So taking up the cross to follow Jesus means that we must follow him no matter the cost may be. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus warns his disciples that the world would hate them, just as they had hated him. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If Jesus was persecuted, his followers would also be persecuted. We can find that in John 15, 18 to 20. Following Jesus implies a high cost that we must pay. Now, when we see these parts in the scripture, they can seem very harsh for us and, far, and very far from our reality. We live in a, in a country where, where being a Christian does not represent a danger to our lives, but that we can freely, freely practice our faith. We are not persecuted for believing in Jesus or for following Jesus. Um, however, that doesn't mean that following Jesus is easy. Many times following Jesus will cost us friendships or even the approval of our relatives. Or maybe co-workers who are going to be hostile and mocking knowing that we are Christians. Today, defending biblical values can mean hatred and contempt from others. To say that we are for life from conception and against abortion that we are for marriage between a man and a woman only, that men and women are equal in dignity and value, but different in roles and functions, etc., are ideas that for today's world are outdated. The disciple of Christ is against culture, and sometimes that brings rejection and contempt from the world. However, notice that Jesus not only told his disciples that he was going to die, but also that he was going to rise again. Not everything would end with the death of Jesus. If Jesus just died, 
That would be a great disgrace. But not, but not everything would end with the death of Jesus on the cross. He was going to rise on the third day. The disciples were sad because they only focused on the death of Jesus. They were not thinking enough that Jesus was going to rise on the third day. Jesus died, it is true. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the grave, defeating death. In the same way, if we only focus on what it costs to follow Jesus, we can become overwhelmed due to all the difficulties that this can bring us. But not everything ends at the cross. After the cross is the resurrection. Jesus not only came to bring us difficulties, but he also came to give us life. And life in abundance, according to John 10.10. Jesus came to give us an abundant life, in which we can enjoy all the privileges and benefits of being a child of God. And where we have a larger family, which is the church. Although we lose many things in this world by following Jesus, there are also rewards that we can have for following him. Jesus said that those who follow him and who have abandoned things in this world will receive a hundred times more and will also inherit eternal life in Matthew 19.1. Similarly, those of us who have followed Jesus have a hope that one day, like Jesus, our bodies will be resurrected at his coming to live for all eternity in a world renewed by, uh, with God. As Philippians 3:20 to 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So following Christ implies difficulties in this world, but at the same time great and beautiful blessings in this life. And for, and for all eternity. In third place and last, the third principle we find in this passage is that we must imitate Jesus by not being a stumbling block to others. We must imitate Jesus by not being a stumbling block to others. Verses 24 to 27. This last story, which is only found in the Gospel of Matthew, introduces us to a principle that is very important in the Christian life. And that is the principle of not being a stumbling block to others, even if it means depriving ourselves of our rights or limiting our Christian freedom. The text tells us that when Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, Peter was approached by those who collected the temple tax, the two drachmas. This was a tax that was collected in Israel, and that had been stipulated since the Old Testament for all men over 20 years of age for the support of the temple, according to Exodus 30, 11 to 16. Two drachmas were the, equi equi <coughs> sorry, the equivalent of two days' wages. These people asked Peter if Jesus paid this tax, in verse 24, to which Peter replies, yes. Yes, he does. Peter was sure that Jesus paid this tax. He possibly had already done it before. Jesus was a responsible citizen. 
fulfilling his civil duties. When Peter come, comes to Jesus, Jesus goes ahead of him and asks him, From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And Peter replied, From others. Jesus told him that when the son that then the sons are free. The meaning of this illustration is clear. The temple was the house of God. Jesus is the son of God. His disciples are sons of the king, sons of God also. Because they had belief in Jesus, they were children of the king. In other words, Jesus and his disciples were not required to pay the temple tax because Jesus was the son of God, God the Father, the owner of the temple, and his disciples were also sons of God, sons of the king. We all remember that moment in John chapter 2 when Jesus entered the temple and saw the money changers and animal sellers doing business in the temple and how Jesus was indignant and took out all the, all the sellers and money changers and animals because they had made the house of his father a house of market. John chapter 2, 13 to, 20, uh, to 16. The temple was the house of his father. Therefore, he was free from paying the temple tax. However, how did Jesus respond? Jesus told Peter that in order not to offend the collectors of the temple tax, or to avoid being a stumbling block, he should go to the sea, take a hook, and the first fish he caught would have a shekel to pay for Jesus and for Peter. In other words, even though Jesus and Peter were not required to pay this tax, in order not to be a stumbling block to these Jews, Jesus decided that both he and Peter should pay this tax, and miraculously provided for his payment and, and for Peter. A shekel was a coin that was equal to four drachmas, that is the payment of two taxes for the temple. Jesus preferred not to make use of his right or his freedom as the Son of God so as not to be a stumbling block to others. And in the same way, we must imitate Jesus in not being a stumbling block to others, for others or in not doing things that may offend our brothers or sisters or people who don't come to church, even if those things are not sinful in themselves and even if we have the freedom to do them. In the New Testament churches, something similar happened when Christians who ate meats that other Christians didn't because they came from a Jewish background and they did not eat certain animals or because those meats had been sacrificed to idols. This created a dilemma for many true Christians who chose not to eat it because they thought it was sinful to them. However, for those who were not a problem eating that meat, Paul tells them that out of love for the weak brothers and sisters, it was better not to eat meat so as not to be a stumbling block to them. In Romans 14.21 says, Paul says, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians 8.13 says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother 
stumble. And I'm going to give you some examples of how we can apply this today. Today something similar happens with wine consumption, uh, consumption or alcohol consumption. Is drinking alcohol a sin according to the Bible? The truth is that there is no verse in the Bible that forbids drinking alcohol. In fact, in fact, Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana in, in John chapter 2. And probably he drank wine. Does that mean that we should drink wine no matter how it affects other brothers and sisters who think it is wrong to do so? No. We must try not to be a stumbling block for our weaker brothers and sisters. Although we have freedom to do so, for the love of our brothers and sisters, we should not do it. I share another example. In Latin America, Christians don't usually see celebrating Halloween as a good thing. Quite the opposite. For many Christians, that is something bad, diabolical, a celebration of death, etc. On the other hand, here in the United States, many Christians celebrate Halloween and see it as a harmless activity. Does that mean that those who celebrate Halloween are sinning? Not necessarily. It is an issue of Christian freedom. If you want to celebrate Halloween and you know someone that don't like to celebrate Halloween, don't invite them to your house to celebrate Halloween. <laughs> Uh, it is an issue of Christian freedom. Similarly, some Christians see, see it as sinful to go to watch a movie at the cinema. Is going to the movies a sin? No. The Bible doesn't forbid going to the movies. They didn't even exist by that time. However, we do need to know how to select what we watch and what we do, do not watch. In conclusion, we must avoid doing something that causes others to stumble. Even if it is not evil or sinful, out of love for our brothers and sisters, and even for those who do not belong to Christ, we must avoid doing things that may be offensive to others. To finish, I would like to leave some final applications based on these three principles that we have seen. First, we must serve Jesus trusting in his power and not in our gifts or abilities. Every time we are going to do some work for God, or a service to God, we must spend time in prayer beforehand and seek communion with Him. We must never think that we can be successful in the ministry or in the service of God depending on our strength, no matter how talented we may be. In second place, we must follow Jesus at whatever cost. Following Christ will sometimes put us in situations where we will have to make a choice between what pleases Jesus and what pleases the world. If Jesus is our Lord, we must serve him in all areas of our lives. This implies being honest in our work, arriving on time, not stealing hours from work, doing everything with excellence, not doing anything that is illegal, even if it, if it can be covered up, always speaking the truth, even if doing so does not benefit us, etc. Following the path of obedience to the Lord will often bring consequences, but the Lord is faithful in rewarding those who faithfully follow him. Finally, we must imitate Jesus by not being a stumbling block to others. 
Although we have the freedom to do things that are not sinful in themselves, we must be careful not to offend other brothers or sisters who do consider it to be wrong. And for love of them, we must deprive ourselves of the use of those rights. The conscience of a brother or a sister is more important than the delight of some freedom. By doing this, we will, e we will be imitating our Lord. Lastly, is there someone here who has not had a personal encounter with Christ? We want to encourage you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As we said before, being a, being, being a Christian has its difficulties, but it also has great and eternal blessings. It is far better to be at peace with God through Christ than at peace with the world, but at enmity with God. So receive Christ today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Bethany. We invite you to worship together with us on Sundays. For more information, visit BethanyChicago.org.